0: It is good to be with you this morning, and it is good for us to be reminded of those truths. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible and you're looking for one, hopefully there's one underneath the seat in front of you or beside you. We refer to those as our Pew Bibles, and this passage can be found on page 949 of the Pew Bible. 949, Hebrews chapter 13. I was overwhelmed when we were singing that song just thinking about the time in which we live. And I don't know if you resonate with this, but it seems like there is just an over-amplification of all that's happening globally with social media. It's like we're getting an onslaught of uh, just overwhelming news of every atrocity, every... Um, issue, brokenness, heartache, and um, it is it is so good in the Lord's uh, ordained common means of grace to gather on the Lord's day to sing songs that help reorient and 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 focus our attention on who it is that is worthy, who is reigning, who has the answers. All of the yes and amens that believers need to hear when it seems like everything around us is falling apart. I pray that in our passage this morning, we will continue to be encouraged by the reality of our King, the Lord Jesus, and who he is. So with your Bibles open, we're looking at verses 7 through 9, and please follow along as I read from God's word. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to begin by asking a question. Do you think your heart is strong? I don't know if you've ever been asked that question, ever thought about that question. Is your heart strong? Maybe you're thinking, at one point in my life, Maybe that pinnacle of the faith, you had that mountaintop experience. I felt like my heart was strong. Maybe you would say, right now, I'm feeling like my heart's pretty strong. Maybe you're going, no, that's, that's not resonating with me. I'm not referring to your physical heart when I ask this question. To help you kind of understand maybe what I'm driving at, theologian John Frame offers an explanation of the heart. The heart is the center of the personality the person himself and his most basic character. Scripture represents it as the source of thought, volition, attitude, speech. It includes the emotions, the will, and thus the whole (laughs) inner being. The Apostle Paul refers to the inner being being strengthened when he prays for believers in Ephesians chapter three. And so having, having heard that, description, a biblical definition of the heart, is your heart strong? As we've looked at the beginning verses of chapter 13, it takes strength to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It takes strength to love strangers. It takes strength to enter into the life of others that are suffering when you may have enough of your own. It takes strength to keep your marriage vows when things are not going well. And it takes strength when in the marriage it is not what you dreamed it to be. It takes strength to turn away from the love of money and the promises it seems to offer us. And that strength is what today's text is about. We're told in verse 9, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. If you want to take just a step back and look at the, the whole, if you were going to sum up like one exhortation over this letter to the Hebrews, it is this, to hold fast... All the way to the end, brothers and sisters, the author is concerned about the pressures in their lives, upon their lives, the trials, the circumstances, the temptations that are tempting them to fall away or to move back to what they once had, thinking that that might be better than what they're currently experiencing and this overarching exhortation is Jesus is better. This is written to Hebrew Christians who, when they look around, don't seem to feel or, or ex- observe things being better. If anything, what they've experienced is the loss of favor in the community, friends, issues with family members that have not come to faith in Christ they were tempted to look at what they once experienced and think, maybe maybe going back, having what we observe the, the Jewish people have now, maybe that's better. And the author, from chapter 1 to now, the final chapter has been, with the aid of the Spirit, proclaiming from the rooftops, you have to understand just how good you have it in Christ even when it seems like things are falling apart. He is our great high priest. He is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, and he is always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And in our passage this morning, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he goes about in our passage this morning reiterating these truths, helping these believers hold fast by beginning with, with a command, uh, an, an imperative. Remember your leaders and respond accordingly, basically. Remember your leaders who came before. And we're going to see in verse 17 of chapter 13 another, um, another uh, example of, of the leaders that we are to look towards within the local church. And so a good question to ask is, who are the leaders that the author is referring to in this verse, verse 7? Remember your leaders. Well, as we're looking at this verse, it is, it is presented in, in, a, in a past tense, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you in the past, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so I would submit to you that what we read in verse seven, these leaders, and what we read in verse 17, more of a present day leaders, uh, both referring to the office of overseer in the church, those who are shepherding your souls. But in verse seven, it's past tense, those who have led you, and verse 17, those who are presently leading you. And if you're still going, well, I'm not sure if the leadership that you're describing is, is what I see here in verse 7 and 17, I want you to look at verse 17 just for a moment. The leaders, are, are their, their job description, their responsibility is defined for us. They are the ones keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And Lord willing, we're gonna have time in the coming weeks to really press into that uh, verse, but, but it helps us actually then understand who these leaders were, past tense, that taught them, that lived lives that they should have remember, consider, and imitate. And those are the ones that God has, has raised up to, to pastor their souls. You could interject the word elder, pastor, overseer, under-shepherd. All of those are synonyms for the same reality of leaders overseeing your caring for your souls. And so this command begins with remember them. Remember what first they taught you. Remember their teaching. And obviously, if the author is saying, hey, remember what they taught you, what they taught them was the truth, God's very Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. So this is the Word that was taught to them. And if you're wondering, well, what exactly was taught, if we're looking at verse 8 being kind of the anchor here, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it made me think of the road to Emmaus. So this is after the resurrection, if you remember, Jesus, unbeknownst to two disciples that are on this walk, shows up in resurrected form and is asking them, what are you guys talking about? And they're talking about all that had just happened, the crucifixion, and, and to see the one who, who was the Messiah laid in a tomb, and now they're going, you know, they're, they're talking about all that's transpired, what's to come, the unknowns, and Jesus, we're told, begins telling them who it was that the scriptures were actually pointing towards. it says, And beginning, this is the end of Luke's gospel, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Meaning all of scripture. I don't know if you've come in here today going, well, I read the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. You need to understand from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, we see the first glimpse of, the proto evangelical I probably didn't say that right, evangelium the, the first gospel presentation that, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Even that far back after the fall, the promised one was, was being prophesied towards. This is what it was all pointing towards. And so if you think, okay, remember your leaders, specifically what they taught you, we can gather if... Verse 8 comes right after this. They were pointing the congregation, the believers, to Christ. Everything that was promised finds its culmination in Christ. You don't look outside or look back thinking that you need to add something else to the finished work of Christ. He is enough. So remember their teaching. Consider the outcome of their life. So they were told, consider, think about those who led you, their day-to-day behavior and how it manifested in all of their lives. I want you to consider that. Now, for some in this room, you may go, well, man, if I'm thinking about leaders that I've had in the past, I haven't quite had the same examples that I would have hoped to have had in my Christian walk. And I think, When we think about remembering our leaders, and it just so happens that in the Lord's providence, this is Reformation Sunday. Thinking of of many dead guys, many dead men and dead women who have lived by faith and have been testimonies who have either written or preached and their sermons or writings have been recorded. And we get to glean from those beautiful insights of scripture and meditation And sermons, all of that you could say comprehensively, autobiographies, biographies, reading about their lives, consider, look carefully on. So if you're going, well, I haven't had that, you have in the tradition of the Christian faith, you have leaders to look to, to consider their day-to-day behavior and contemplate and reflect, does my life look like their life? Those are good exercises for us to do. Imitate their faith. I want to spend a moment just thinking of four different angles, so to speak, to look about faith, to think about faith. The first, faith is the principle of trust whereby the heart turns to God and rests upon his word. How have your leaders done this in their life? Was their life an example of that trust whereby their hearts turn to God and rest upon His Word? Did they believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? Number two, faith has reference to that which is to be believed, the truth of God, the the Christian creed. Jude 3 is a good example. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's another way in which faith is used. Third, faith is used in the New Testament to designate the fruits and works that spring from it, the effects of true biblical faith. When you think and remember your leader's when you imitate their faith, was their faith alive and active? And then lastly, fourthly, faith also signifies faithfulness. Despite temptations to apostatize, these leaders persevered, held fast their confession, remained loyal to Christ, continued to minister unto his people, imitate their faith. Now, I appreciate what Pastor Dennis mentioned when giving us great insight from Martin Luther. We need to avoid a certain danger here the danger of idolizing our leaders. There is a following of our leaders, remembering them, respecting them, honoring them, imitating them, but you can set yourself up to fall if you put your leaders up on a pedestal and then they err or sin and we need to remember they are flesh and bone they are mere men misplaced hope in them unrealistic expectations upon their life can lead to despair and for some an unraveling when you have when you have maybe unknowingly set this leader up on such a high pedestal and then have watched them fall miserably into sin and ruin their life and ministry, it can really do a number on believers who have, who have elevated them beyond what the author is, 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 is encouraging us to do as we remember and consider and imitate. One author wrote, "...the unreliability of people due to changes in their moral character is one of the most devastating and crushing realities in our world. And so there's, a, there's caution here as we remember our leaders. And I actually think, I made note of this, what's happening in verse 7, that would be past tense. Leaders who have lived a faithful life and have died. Verse 17 is your present day leaders. And I think that's helpful because when we look at those who have already gone on and have have fought the good fight, and we can recognize that the Lord would say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. That, that's a different remembering and imitating than present-day leaders who have not yet finished their course, have not ran the race to completion. And so it's, it's good for us to think about those in our lives who have actually lived and died and now are in the presence of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I made mention of this several Lord's Days ago, showed a picture of Audie Thompson. Those who have been a part of Grace Covenant Church, one of our first elders, leaders, shepherds of our souls, Audie Thompson, he is one that we should remember. What did he teach? He taught us the Word of God. You may not have seen him preaching from the pulpit, but the one-to-one counseling and discipleship in care group settings in his home, it happened all the time. We want to consider and imitate his life, even to the, the way in which his life came to an end and how he faithfully continued to testify to God's goodness and faithfulness right to the end. What a great example for us to remember. Next, we have a promise, verse 8. It's really a glorious confession of the faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Now, I you may have heard of this verse in particular, maybe pulled out and used as, as a life verse, and yes and amen. It is powerful because it reflects who is the one who is holding us fast even now. But in context, this is really helpful for us. If you've just heard about the testimony, uh, really the call to remember this imperative to consider their lives, your leaders, thinking about the reality of verse 8 helps us understand that it was Christ who is the same yesterday, that same Christ was the one that sustained them to live the life that they lived. If you're thinking about strengthening your heart, this brings much strength, strengthening to our hearts when we not contemplate how good this past leader was, how strong and able he was, but rather to just soak in the reality of verse 8, Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, he is the one that made that possible. So we're resting our confidence not in, on men who, who led us well in the past, but it is anchored in the one who provided all that they needed. And if he provided all that they needed, brothers and sisters, he is faithful to provide all that you need. I hope you're seeing the connection here. We are to consider and to hold high and to remember and imitate our past leaders. But let us not forget the one who is faithful to never leave us nor forsake us. He is the one who helps them, and here's the promise. He is here and will help us. And if you're a parent, and we've just been kind of thinking the way I started about all that's happening in our world and how unknown the future is, how our culture and society seems to be just heading down a, a horrible path at a rapid rate, this anchor of him being the same yesterday, him being the same today, And him being the same tomorrow, that is a comprehensive encouragement that we need to hear. If there are parents like me in this room that can be led to fear and despair that moves from righteous concern to, I'm actually sinning because I'm not trusting God to hold my children and my children's children in the future. Verse 8 is for you this morning. We look back, we understand who's holding us now, and we look to the future and realize Christ is king. Christ is ruling now. Christ is sovereign over all things. Nothing can happen outside of his will, and no matter what tomorrow may look like or bring, we have this sturdy confidence. And what I love about this particular passage, in verse 9, the strengthening of your heart, that word could be translated established, steady. If you, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. And that establishing our hearts, that strengthening, is not some ambiguous kind of floaty, high in the sky thought of good things, but anchored in a person who is the one who ruled, is ruling, and will rule. What great confidence is found in this promise, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is actually a doctrine called the immutability of God or the unchangeableness of God. Wayne Grudem defines it like this, God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions. And he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. God existed before the heavens and the earth were made, and he will exist long after they have been remade in the new heavens and the new earth. The universe will change But in contrast to this change, he is the same. Now, this is very significant. Psalm 102 is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1. I know it's been a long time since we were in the first chapter of Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 1, Psalm 102 is being applied to Jesus Christ. This is the quote in verses 10 through 12. And... You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. If Jesus could change in his character or purposes or promises, then our trust would begin to erode. How could we commit our lives to a changing Christ? Our faith and hope and knowledge are all ultimately dependent upon a person who is infinitely worthy of our trust because... He is absolutely and eternally unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. And brothers and sisters, we can trust him. Yesterday, he was with the leaders that we look to and imitate. Today, he is with you, and he will be with your children and your children's children in the future. So, just hear this again. In an ever changing world, we can stand steady. So, in verse 9, we actually get a warning. I don't know if you heard it, but the author tells the original recipients and us do not, do not be led away or carried away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So as their leaders passed away, time and change can, can, can swiftly work their sure effects on those who continue to try and hold on, to hold fast. And again, the context really matters. So verse 8, we get this glorious promise, this confession of who Jesus is. It helps us and understanding that He is the one who held those whom we are to imitate. He held them. He enabled them. He sustained them. He will also sustain us. And as you're thinking about the unchangeableness of Christ, it also helps us when we look at verse 9 in this warning. There will be diverse teachings, strange, foreign teachings. Hear the words things in the plural, there will be multiple, they will be coming towards you, all the the plethora of different ideas, novel as they may seem, and intriguing and interesting, know that the unchangeableness of Christ helps you stand firm when you hear false teachings that don't align with his word that does not change. This helps us. Stand firm, established in the faith, knowing that our rock is Christ. The Word of God is His very Word. If He is unchanging, the canon is closed. We don't have people come and giving us new insight, new prophetic words that are adding on to God's Word. It is sufficient for all of life and godliness. So verse 8 anchors as we look towards this warning, do not be led away or carried away by diverse and strange teachings. The author tells us that our hearts are strengthened by grace, not by foods, which implies that at least some people in the original audience, these these Hebrew Christians, believed that they could find spiritual fortification In what they ate and drank. Now, we can't be completely certain about the specific context of what was going on with this false teaching. Some commentaries believe that the Hebrew Christians, like people in other parts of the New Testament churches, believed that only certain foods were holy and acceptable to Christians. So, whether you abstained or whether you participated had some effect on your spiritual nourishment. Many scholars think that the author of Hebrews is is warning here about Old Testament sacrifices. So if you think about the Passover meal, that would actually be a participation where they would eat food as part of that ceremonial ritual, all tied to the Old Covenant. And if they were led to believe that what you eat actually builds you up spiritually the author is saying it is good to be strengthened for your heart to be strengthened by grace but not by food it doesn't happen by what you intake it is again pointing us back to verse 8 It is not food, if anything, all that of of the old, the the shadows were were pointing to the substance, which is Christ. We feed upon him. And I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going there in the next few verses. But the, the, the main thrust here is that, yes, you need to be strengthened. Your heart needs to be strengthened. But brothers and sisters, know what it is that actually strengthens you and what doesn't when you are tempted to say, I can see these sacrifices being made, I can taste, I can feel that temptation to go and experience what you once had, is moving them away from the sufficiency of Christ and what all of that was pointing to. Now here, I want us just for a moment to, to dwell upon the word grace, to be strengthened by grace, established settled securely not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, grace is vastly comprehensive. The Spirit-enabled power to be able to comprehend the love of Christ that we do not deserve. The free, eternal, and sovereign favor of God towards His people— is the spring and source of all the gifts, benefits, and blessings we receive from Him. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, 2 Timothy 1, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began the Holy Spirit's operation in quickening, enlightening, and applying Christ to us so that we are are to put into actual, because of this work, into actual enjoyment of Him and His salvation. All of this is the outworking of the covenant of grace. It is all of grace. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Hear how the Apostle Paul prays for the believers in Ephesus in in Ephesians chapter 3. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is the grace that strengthens our hearts. Philip Hughes, in his commentary on Hebrews, says it like this, Food goes into the stomach for the strengthening of the body, but only the unchanging grace strengthens the heart. That is, the vital center of man's being and personality and the source of his conduct and character. If you have been tripping up on the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 13, like, I am not in a position or place to faithfully walk out this loving of the brothers that I read about, that I've heard from this pulpit over the last few weeks. Let brotherly love continue, and then you go, man, I just fall miserably short of all that it's calling me to be about. It is good for your heart To be strengthened by grace. It is the fuel that God enables His children to have in order to walk out this calling that we have been called to. We do not do it in our own strength. It is good for us to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened. We just need to understand where the strength comes from. Who gets all the glory when any... Even a glimpse of the leaders of old revealed the glory of God and set good examples for a flock to even follow. All of that is, is given back to God in glory and praise for anything good that is happening in our midst. The imperative in the passage is to remember consider and imitate the faith of those who have gone before us in the lives and words of frail human leaders faith catches glimpses and hears echoes of Jesus Christ the ever-living never-leaving great shepherd of the sheep Christ is unchangeable James 1:17 says that there is no variation or shadow due to change. While people and events in our life change, the Lord and his absolute perfection is always the same. I pray that we are strengthened this morning by his unchanging grace. Now, there's a comfort and a warning here in conclusion. This is comforting Because Jesus will act according to his revelation of himself and scripture. That is so comforting. There are no surprises when we think about, will he be with me? Will the promises that he made come true? Is he trustworthy? The answer is yes and amen. I don't have to worry about him changing his ways. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Much comfort there. The warning is that Jesus has revealed his ways, and they are not changing. His standards are not changing. They will not be lowered on the day of judgment. We have it crystal clear. All of God's word is breathed out, and brothers and sisters, it is profitable for all of life. There's opportunity to repent now, And receive the mercy of Christ being offered to sinners. But once we stand before him at the end of our lives or if he returns, we will be judged according to his unchanging word. There is comfort and there is warning. May we have ears to hear this morning. Let us pray. Our Father, we respond in praise as we reflect upon your unchangeableness. Christ is the same gracious and powerful shepherd of the sheep that he was and is and will be. He is the same object of our faith, the same sufficient Savior, the same effectual intercessor, He is the same in his loving design and covenant faithfulness. Father, help us to cleave to him with unshakable confidence this morning. The command to consider, to remember, to imitate our leaders. We praise you for faithful men who have gone before. You are the one who gets all the glory for their faithfulness. May we observe, imitate, and with the aid of the Spirit walk in a manner that they walked, that brought much glory to your name. May we cling to the promise of who Christ is. And Father, may we remember when we are tempted by teachings of various kinds that are alien to the truth of your grace. May we we not be carried away. May we not be confused, but as a body, remind each other of your unchanging ways, your unchanging truths. Hold firm and fast to the gospel. And we pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.